As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. And welcome to Two Stars, the podcast all about Nottingham Forest, brought to you by The Athletic. Every week we break down all the big stories from Trentside in the company of The Athletic's Reds experts and some Forest friends. On this week's show, we look back on Wednesday's battling point gained at Luton in the company of former Reds midfielder David Prutton. We'll also reflect on the derby draw, preview the upcoming game against Middlesbrough and chat through some other news and notes too. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free via the Athletic app, this is Two Stars. Hello, listener. Thanks for coming back, or indeed for joining us for the first time. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, a podcast host, a football commentator, but more importantly than that, a Nottingham Forest supporter. Later, we'll check in with former Reds midfielder turned top TV presenter David Prutton. But first, let me introduce the Taylor to my club, the Chettle to my Cooper, the Guyton Bong to my Michael Heffler from The Athletic. <laughs> it's Nick Miller. Hi, Nick. Did you have a nice time in Luton? Oh, God's own country. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, very, it's very lazy and hack to uh, have a go at places like Luton, but, it, you know, it, it's fine. I quite like Kenilth Road as well, so, you know, crumbling old rustic place that it is. Um, quite happy with being uh, tailored to your clough, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take that. Presumably that means that um, producer Adonis is uh, Jimmy Gordon, the kind of unheralded backroom man, the one that actually makes things tick over and work. Yeah, and has a really cool Adidas kit bag that he brings onto the pitch all the time. Um, yeah, I, don't I doubt I, Adonis has got that. I I bought um I hunted down one of those uh, very kit bags after I saw Jimmy Gordon carrying it in I believe in Miracles. I <laughs> I think was uh, thirty three years old at the time. <laughs> um, for no reason whatsoever. Before we get to uh, the Luton game, let's play a little word association game. Uh, I'll say something forest related. I want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, let's start with Shipstons. Uh, so the, the, that kind of red and white pinstripe kit, and I'm only supposed to say one word, aren't I? But that's the thing that comes to mind. The okay. the kit we're wearing when we got relegated and then promoted again. Yeah, always nice to start on a positive. Uh, next up, Gary Brazil. Youth genius. Good. Zenith Data Systems. Scott Gemmell. Just got that brilliant goal in the final against Southampton. Yeah, 92. Uh, Michael Dawson. 
Um, the oh, well, this, this, going back to a negative, I, I immediately think of him getting sent off in the first leg of the playoff semi-final against Sheffield oh, United. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, okay, two more to go. The last one is going to be very negative. The penultimate one, though, I think, is quite nice. Zcom two-way radio. Zeke on two-way radio. Oh, this, <laughs> am, am I going to? Sh- sh- am I showing up my forest knowledge by not? No, you know this? what I think. I think this is actually. It was an advertising board that used to be on what was then the executive stand, and it's just twigged to me that that's where you used to sit, isn't it? Yeah. So I bet yeah, you yeah, never yeah. ever saw that. That's like one of my very early forest memories. Uh, never mind. All right, last one. Yeovil. Oh God. Oh God. Pain. Oh, that's it. Well, <laughs> Yeovil, um, yeah, pain, misery, Alan Wright limping around. Was that, hang on, was that Alan Wright? Was that, was that Yeovil or was that Blackpool? The, the, the trauma just kind of melds into one at the end, really. Yeovil, oh, I'll tell you yeah. what, Yeovil is Aaron Davis tearing us a new one and then signing for us a few months later and doing the square root of sweet FA for sort of two or three years. Um, but. You know, if we were to take one positive from Yeovil, it would be Chris Cohen. And that segues us nicely into last night in Luton. So on Wednesday night, Forrest made the trip to Kenilworth Road to take on Luton Town. Nick was on hand for the Athletic. Also covering the game was David Prutton. David played well over 150 games for the world's greatest football team. These days, he fronts Sky's EFL coverage and does a damn fine job too. Uh, do you have to say, David joins us now. Um, we're speaking morning after the game, David. Forrest ought to look at it as a point game, given the circumstances, surely. Uh, yes, I do. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. I'm trying to work out, he played well over 150 games, or well over 150 games. I was trying to work out how you phrased that, because I'm sure Forest fans wouldn't agree with the well bit. Um, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it still very much feels like a work in progress with um, Chris coming in. But but the, the kind of, the bare essentials and, and, the, and the fundamental ingredients are there. I, I just think it, it's it's still very kind of reflective of where a lot of teams find themselves in the early stages of the season. Obviously, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about teams that perhaps are doing slightly better than Forest. But there's a sense of players feeling their way around what the manager wants. And the manager, quite obviously, with only four games in, still working out who is going to be his best eleven. which, like I said, is, feels very much like a work in progress. Nick, you were on hand. What did you make of kind of line-up and team shape, that kind of thing? Didn't seem that radically different, albeit just the one up top last night. Yeah, um, I think the the one up top was it sort of works with the rest of the team. It was it felt slightly awkward in that that they were he's clearly trying to sort of get Lolly and Knockout in the team somehow when and it it just feels like they occupy the same space a lot of the time. So Lolly is obviously sort of playing normally as a number ten, um, but you know he, he he found himself almost kind of unconsciously drifting out to the right to cut in on his left foot. So that's something to kind of you know figure out but um but otherwise the the sort of structure of the team looked pretty you know solid and what we're probably going to come to expect from Hewton really so I felt like with with that second half performance if you ask Siri to show you a textbook Chris Hewton team playing (laughs) playing against 11 men with 10 that's exactly what you get is that what what we're going to sort of come to expect from from his forest the way he runs a football team and a football club is, uh, and the way he is as a person, uh, is it's extremely 
purposeful. I was chatting to Mick McCarthy about it last night, and he said the word that gets thrown his way is pragmatic, which he, he's not too sure about the interpretation of that, but purposeful in the sense of making a team and the components of it fit for purpose, which in the second half, they absolutely were. Having been in that situation where it depends which team you're playing, but more often than not, you've got nothing to lose. I mean, obviously, the other side of that is you go chasing the game, you get picked off, and you end up, end up uh, off the back of a four or a five nil turnaround. But they uh, moved the ball quicker than Luton in the second half. They uh, had more tempo to their game than Luton in the second half. And the pressure built, and it, and it kind of, when the goal did eventually come, it didn't feel like against the run of play. It didn't feel like it wasn't anything that Forrest didn't deserve. I mean, and, and it, to talk about what people deserve and don't deserve during the course of a football match is, is a bit of a vague concept, isn't it? Because as we know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful game that can kick you right in the unmentionables when you least expect it. But I think um, the things that he would have asked for at half-time, which is the application, and I'm saying he's asking for these. We're talking about a team of pros, a team of very seasoned pros. I know exactly how to play and approach a game such as that. And maybe having not gone down to 10 men would have fancied themselves in the second half to go on and uh, turn Luton over and come away with all three points. But I think it's good for, for, as a character test, I think it's good to see if you're a Forest fan watching that, knowing that the fingers that have been pointed at this side, particularly off the back of the end of last season, is um, whether they've got that type of backbone and the fight for another season in a very tough championship. And I think the second half suggestions would say yes. Ryan Yates was obviously the man of the match and didn't didn't quite score the goal, but kind of forced the goal. <laughs> David, I don't know how deeply you'll dip you dip your toe into the murky world of Forest Twitter, but he is uh, he gets a bit, doesn't he? That from what I hear, he does. Yeah, and we can't quite work out why. What's kind of what's sort of your assessment as someone who's sort of from a sort of one step removed? To be fair, it, it is a tough one because. And, and again, to, to say that a, a player is likeable, seemingly down to earth, hardworking, I think a lot of those things you would see as plus points, obviously, wouldn't you? And to see a player such as that perhaps get um, the raw end of, of what the of what the general consensus is of the team, I think is a little harsh. I think in a squad and a team, there does always seem to be one or two. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's particularly an easy target, but. He seems to fit into that bracket of, of a and and again I'll I'll when you whenever we're talking about this and I don't try and steer it around to me but you, you try and look at your own kind of experience with it of being a certain type of player in a certain type of team and I think the expectation levels from a midfielder whether he's a, a defensive midfielder or an attacking midfielder have evolved possibly I could get away with looking very busy running around making tackles. You're chipping with the odd goal, you're chipping with the odd, odd assist, but you fundamentally stuck to what you were good at, which was hopefully making as much of a nuisance to the opposition as you possibly could uh, and uh, and getting through a decent shift of work. He, he seems to be in that mould uh, and, and does it in a way that I, I wouldn't think would be too kind of annoying to Forest fans. But but maybe that, that innocuous sense of looking like you're doing a lot, but if you're looking at actual tangible contributions, then maybe that's where there's a slight discrepancy in, in what Forest fans are thinking. But you do, you're absolutely right, Nick. Him being, and blessing for trying to um, say that he didn't quite know who got the final touch on the cross when he quite clearly came off the side of Glenn Ray's face. But he, 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 was, he was in there and he forced that issue. He forced that, that mistake. He forced the ball into the opposition net, which... Um, if he's going to try and turn over uh, that small faction of Forest fans, then situations such as that, as that can only help. 
You see a lot of the championship. It's it's been an interesting start. I don't think any of us had Reading pegged as the the early season pace setters. Do, do you think that that maybe because there's not been one standout team yet that that Forest have still got time to make up the ground that they've lost at the start of the season and get up toward that top six? Yeah, they, I think they absolutely have. As you say, there are some surprises with Reading. Um, and uh, Bournemouth perhaps a little less because that we, we've got that uh, very quick shorthand, haven't we, about a team that comes down, oh, they should be competing when it's not. I mean, uh, we chatted about the other week and the percentage of teams that bounce back straight away is no more than 30%. So uh, teams like that have got the work cut out. But I, I think you're absolutely right, Matt. What we've seen so far from the Championship um, and the kind of general consensus, consensus with Reading is they've, man- they've managed to hit on a, on a way of playing and uh, a way of staying in games when um, they're not straightforward, as we know, championship matches and coming away with all three points, which is a wonderful habit to get into, isn't it? And I think from what we've seen from Forest, uh, yes, they can do so much better. But I also think across the broad spectrum of the championship, there's, there's nothing in there really for them to fear from, from what I've seen, really from what I've seen. And it's the teams that are there at the top, are at some stage going to have a, a, a fallow period in the season? I, can't, I mean, to, if, if we, they're currently unbeaten, obviously, Reading and Bournemouth, but if, if we were sat here in 20 games time and they were still unbeaten, then we're talking about one of those one in a million special seasons, aren't we? So uh, there's, there's so much time for them to be able to catch up, but um, I'm worried that sometimes in the situation where you can talk about having a lot of time, suddenly that time does elapse. We could sit here in two months and think, oh, it's all right, there's only, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, 18 games in. But they're still hovering around the bottom half of the, of the championship and still got work to do. So Chris will be aware of that, and and they've got a manager there that knows exactly how to get out of the division. Which I'm not saying it's straightforward, but having done that, um, that wisdom that he imparts can only help. You uh, obviously uh, an ex-pro who um, presents uh, stuff on TV rather than um, being a pundit, with the kind of the obvious notable exception. That's not the kind of usual route that ex-pros go down was that a kind of conscious choice for you to go for the presenting route rather than being a pundit um i got asked to do so uh, a, a bit when we, we were doing some checker trade trophy games which i mean getting given that as your first kind of few broadcasts and just having that kind of in your head of you, you couldn't have given me a tournament which was more wordy or harder to get your mouth around really and uh, that was the basis of, of, of any form of anxiety with that early, those early ones was making sure you got that name right no I, I got asked to do it I thoroughly enjoyed um, the punditry side of it um, and having seen in the early stages of what the other side is it, it, it just reinforces how um, how easy pundits have it you sit there have a cup of tea put your feet up um, pontificate and, uh, <laughs> and get your point across and hopefully do it with some form of charm and, uh, and um, energy. Um, but the other, the other doing the presenting side of it, I absolutely love. Absolutely love. I, it was it was something I, I didn't really have on my radar. But but it's very much um, reflective of, of playing football, which I know is a bit of a boring cliche. Ex footballer relates everything post football to what happened. It's like being in a dressing room. No, it's not like being in a dressing room because. People uh, are dressed for a start and not saying horrendous things to each other, like a dressing room is. Um, but that, that sense of, of being in a team, which I really, really enjoy, and the, the presenting side of it is just is just wonderful. The people that I work with really, really are really, really nice, and um, they are, we all love football fundamentally. Then and then at the start of doing it, it was just working on those fundamentals of, uh, especially with with Sky of. Um, 
getting to breaks and talking to the right people at the right time, looking at the right camera at the right time, which um, brilliantly, they've got a light, which I only really realised about two years into it. I was like, oh, there's a light there. And the director said, well, yeah, that means that's the one that's looking at you. And, and having watched things since, like the Alan Partridge series this time, and with him looking at the wrong camera, and it's so, so agonisingly close to what it's like, <laughs> which I, I uh, really, really enjoy. But no, I, I didn't have any preconceptions about getting into it, but... Having had the chance, uh, I've loved every single minute of it. Uh, I'd like to finish with a, a serious question before we let you go. You, you and I have spoken in the past about your love for, for Nottingham, so uh, it, it begs the question. Give us your favourite bar, pub, restaurant, cafe, <laughs> uh, somewhere that you would recommend somebody to go if they were allowed to visit the city of Nottingham. If they were allowed out. P- pathetically, the last time I had, a, I had the chance to have a wander around in the old haunts, which would have been around the Hockley area, given how hip and fashionable I was, obviously, back in the day. Um, Market Bar was always somewhere that we enjoyed going, but that's shut from what I'd seen. There, there, was, there was no sign of that. So, to be fair, this was probably about half past one on a Wednesday afternoon. So, I was trying to get in a bar at half past one on a Wednesday afternoon. Things weren't that bad. Um, that was always a, a decent neck of the woods to go. From what I hear, though, uh, West Bridgeford seems to be the place to be now. But when, when, I, when I was there, we were, we were in the digs on Colic Road, and we used to, the only used to place we used to go was that old days little supermarket, which was the other side of the cookie ground. And then you'd obviously go into um, West Bridgeford to, I don't know, do your post, <laughs> stuff like that. But, but from what I hear, Gary Bertels mentions that whenever I see him, because he's got a crew of, um, I mean, proper forest legends. That he, I mean, the, the European Cup winning lads. I mean, not, not as, as Wally's that almost got forest halfway near the, the Premier League. Um, but he's, he's recommended West Bridgeford to me. But um, I, used, I used to enjoy Chino Latinos in in town, the sushi restaurant, which Jack Lester's wife, I think she used to do the PR for it, which that obviously translates into free food and drink, which again, for my East Yorkshire sensibilities, is music to my ears. But um, but the thing I will say is, I mean, it's it, the last few times I've been there, it's... It was always a wonderful, bustling, busy city. It just seems to have got even busier, obviously, lockdown notwithstanding, and, and, and the way things are going right now, it's all very, very odd. But it, it's got that vibe of of a kind of a London, of of, of the biggest cities around um, around England. And it was just always just a wonderful place to hang out and, and uh, have a lot of fun, which is what we did. Well, that is really good to hear. Listen, thank you so much for joining us today, David. When, when are we next going to get to see that beautiful smile on our tellies? <laughs> Uh, we're back in action on Saturday lunchtime, Bristol City and Norwich, if I remember rightly. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to doing that. Um, and again, with the games coming thick and fast, um, I think it's it's uh, worth bearing in mind just how much we want from our footballers and our football teams, don't we? But um, I just think it's great that we can get together and chat and, and tick over and Fingers crossed, uh, we've, we've discussed this a lot of times about, we, about my perceived perception of what Nottingham Forest are and what I want from them. Nothing would, um, uh, nothing would make me happier than seeing them back in the Premier League. And I think this season, that's got to be the basis of, of, of any form of ambition. Top six, at least, has got to be where Forest are looking. Yeah, we're keeping our fingers crossed for that. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're enjoying your coverage very much. And keep looking at the right camera. <laughs> this episode is supported by season three of fx's welcome to wrexham 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. David Prutton there, top presenter, top man. Uh, hey Nick, here's a question that's come to us via the medium of Twitter from Andrew Brooks. Andrew wants to know, is there a danger that Lolly and Knockart actually do their best work in the same position and this becomes one of those tiresome Lampard-Gerrard style selection headaches? Or is the bigger danger that being a Forest fan has made me too pessimistic? Um, you touched on it there when, when we were talking talking to David. It's one of those conundrums that, that Hewton's got to try and find a way to sort out. Yeah, definitely. And I think the answer to Andrew's question is is yes to both elements of it. Forest, <laughs> being a Forest fan has naturally made him too pessimistic, but equally it does feel like that, you know, it's only one game that they've uh, played together in, but they do seem to sort of try and occupy the same spaces. Um, and it does feel like if um, Hewton does kind of go for an either-or thing, it will be one of those situations where the player not currently in the team will you know be favored or be be kind of their reputation will grow in their absence but they're kind of i mean they're, they're, they're very different they're different players um knockouts obviously kind of some sort of nippier and uh less physical and a, a little bit subtler and um you know lolly's more of a sort of goal threat but they do their best work both do their best work from roughly the same position yeah so I mean, if Hewton does manage to figure out a way to get them both in the team, then um, then you know, fantastic. And there were times last night when they were kind of swapping around, and it, it kind of worked quite nicely. And you would think that, you know, well, you would hope that maybe that would that's the sort of thing that will improve over time the more they play together. Um, but yeah, it's it's an, one of many interesting uh, conundrums that uh, that Hewton has to sort of work on and solve. Another one that you pointed out in the piece which you've written, which Athletic subscribers can enjoy now, is is about this kind of reverse Sven, as you call it. Forrest, first half not so good, second half good. Do you think that's a Hewton thing or is that something that's a hangover from, from Sabri's time? The sort of very basic statistics seem to suggest it is a little bit of a hangover because the, the, the thing I pointed out in the piece is obviously one of the big concerns last season it was conceding these late goals these kind of heartbreakers against you know Sheffield Wednesday and Derby and obviously Barnsley right at the end of the season and there, I think there were seven seven times Forrest gave up points with goals in the last 10 minutes of games this season and partly in the operatic calamity that was the end of last season the problem has become conceding first so 12 of the last 14 games in all competitions for us have conceded um conceded first and a lot of those are in the first half as well so the it has been a bit of a theme in um Hewton's game so far but it is a problem that has sort of stretched back a little bit the upside the sort of positive of this is that under Lamucci had seemed to drop and um, the problem of conceding first seemed to kind of become almost insurmountable, and they they didn't come back to win any of those games. And Forest haven't come back to win any of the last three games, but they have at least come back much more strongly. Looked very good in the in the second half of the last three games. And um, so you you can, and I, I don't know if I'm um, 
just being a little bit too optimistic about this, but you can see at least some progress and a bit of sort of, I don't know, mental fortitude. And, you know, typically of, of Chris Hewton, this sort of very naturally quite sort of logically upbeat man, he did point out the positives that, you know, at least we are coming back from these iffy starts. Uh, you've got a laboured analogy about the forest goal that I'd like to hear. Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously Ryan Yates, as uh, as uh, David mentioned just there, bless him, sort of wasn't quite clear whether he had actually scored the goal. He obviously didn't score the goal. He sort of fashioned um, Raya into a sort of like a kind of human shield to sort of deflect the ball in. And it reminded me of that bit in the Bourne, uh, the Bourne Identity where he sort of jumps off a balcony or something or, or down a flight of stairs using a sort of unnamed goon as a kind of human shield to block his fall. As, <laughs> and then, you know, he shoots someone whilst in midair on the way down. It, it reminded me of that. It was exactly like that, in fact. Exactly. Lovely. Um, before we move on from, from Luton, we haven't mentioned the red card. I think we should give Chris Hewton the uh, the final say on this because I absolutely love this quote. I think it is straight out of the Roy Hodgson school of uh, using the English language. Hewton on the red card told BBC Radio Nottingham, I've had the opportunity to see it again. He endeavours to get the ball. There's no malice in it, but I accept that his foot has gone over the top of the ball. I think it's one that we have to accept. Isn't that just lovely? He's not moaning about it. He's used the word endeavour. I'm here for that. Funnily enough, I, I did well, well um, at the at the ground last night when we were doing the the post match press stuff. I did think of Roy Hodgson when I was kind of listening to his pattern of speech because obviously when you listen to managers quite a lot and then when you have to transcribe what they're saying, you do concentrate on their patterns of speech and you start to recognise similarities between managers. And I did. He's he's you know he obviously got a a very different voice, but he his cadence and pattern of speech is is very Hodgson-esque um but yeah on I mean on the sending off he's he's exactly right it was the sort of thing that you that it, it looked horrible live I and mean, I'm not really I'm not sure what it looked how it looked on TV but it, it looked pretty bad live and then when you, when you saw the replay you could see that it was a little bit harsh that he didn't really go over the ball his studs just kind of slipped over the top of it and went into the lad's shin um so you can completely understand why they they uh they sent him off, um, but you know, technically maybe it would have been a little, a little bit harsh. But uh, it's not really something we can complain about too much. I don't think. All right, that's Luton done. We'll have a brief look back at the derby draw and ahead to the weekend trip to Teesside. But next news. <laughs> You were no doubt as excited as Nick and I when the Reds revealed their latest signing on Monday. Yep, it's the one we were all waiting for. Louis de Cruet. Uh, anyone else just hear Le Cruzet when, when they hear that name? Pots. Anyway, he's just joined Forrest in the totally not made up and definitely important role of advisor for international projects. He works at Monaco for five years as assistant to the vice president and general manager. Um, Nick, you've written a, you've written a little bit about this for the Athletic in your piece, introducing the world to our little show. Uh, can you explain it to me because I am puzzled. Um, yeah, I've, I mean, I, I, t- t- it, t- to be kind of um, sensible about it for a moment, this is probably the sort of job that most big clubs have. It's someone to kind of go around the world and drum up business, and you know. Um, go to 
places that uh, are far away from England but love English football and get sponsorship and so on and so on and so on. It's just not announced in quite the same way. And it also helps that this guy is a... Uh, well, it helps or hinders, I'm not sure. This guy is a member of the uh, Monaco royal family, of course. I mean, I think we all... We all thought that one day, you know, some forest would employ a member of the the Monaco royal family, and of course, um, he is Grace Kelly's grandson. Which again, we all we all saw that coming. We definitely all saw that coming. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? People that Forest turn up with these job titles and then sort of quietly disappear, and then a couple of months later, someone says, "Oh, what happened to that guy?" And, the, and Forest say, "Oh no, he's he's gone. He 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 left a few months ago." Sorry, did we not tell you? Um, so you know, who knows? I, I suspect it will be the sort of thing that um, we won't really hear about if he's a success, and then um, if he turns out to be rubbish, it'll just be an- another another little um, cherry on top of the quite pooey pie that um, <laughs> the, the forest off the pitch seem to be at the moment. Yeah, I wonder if anybody told the fella about the club's association with Robin Hood because he was not a friend of the monarchy. Um, now. Oh, Camille, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Grzycki. Grzycki. Uh, last week, we spoke about Forest tardiness as pertains to the signing of the poll in question from West Brom. As we record Thursday morning, Nick, it seems as though the deal is off. Yeah, that crucial 21 seconds. Um, it seems that the uh, the Forest lawyer's quite creative explanation as to why it wasn't technically past five o'clock, even though it was technically past five o'clock, for anyone that hasn't read this, or uh, this, this was a, I think a line from um, the Athletics West Brom correspondent Steve Maidley, who suggested that the Forest lawyer's argument was because the papers were lodged at five o'clock and twenty-one seconds. It wasn't five o one, so sort of technically wasn't it wasn't past the deadline, which again always sounded quite optimistic and. Um, and by the sounds of it, the uh, various admin bods at the FA or, or Football League or whoever it was that decided these things um, decided that, you know, it was bollocks as it sounded like. So, I mean, it, 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 it's a shame in some respects in that Kamal Grzycki is a very good player, uh, you know, experienced player and he did, he did very well at, um, at Hull, perhaps not so well at West Brom. Um, but on the other hand, you know, it's if if we if we miss out on promotion or or miss out on the playoffs or you know stay up whatever whatever the kind of end of the season brings if we miss out on whatever it is because we didn't sign that fifteenth player or that fifth winger then you know something else is uh, seriously wrong and I I don't think in that respect it's a it's an enormous calamity particularly as as I said we we, we were, there were already you know there were four wingers three wingers on the um on the pitch last night another one on the bench and then Lyle Taylor who can play on the wing um was was in the team as well so in that respect it's not the end of the world um but it's just a sort of another um uh, example of how things aren't perhaps as organized as they can be off the pitch yeah, quite. So maybe not the worst news in the world for Forrest. Maybe good news for the likes of Lisa Mafia, Mega Man, Scat D, Asher D and G-Man if they were planning to re-release their eponymous 2001 single 21 seconds as so solid crew. It might get some downloads in the Nottingham and West Bromwich areas. Uh, right, feels like a long time ago now, but Forrest played Derby since we last met. We'll learn some lessons from that game after this. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. One all then in the East Midlands derby, the first one of the season last Friday night. Forrest came from behind, which always makes a draw feel a bit better. Uh, we're going to have to get used to one all score lines, it would seem. I think the key thing sort of tactically from this game, Nick, was the, the, the interest around Chris Hewton starting with two up front, albeit only for, for 45 minutes. What did you make of that when you saw the team sheet? Yeah, it's you can see the, the logic, obviously, Forrest... I mean, the, the the thing you you often say of uh, you often hear pundits who kind of semi pay attention to Forest as well. In Lewis Graben and Lyle Taylor, they've got two of the best strikers in the championship, which is probably true. Um, so it sort of makes sense to see if they can play together, and um, you know, just have a look to see if you've got these two um, very theoretically very potent. Players, although obviously you know Lewis Graben is not in the greatest form at the moment, um, it didn't work. I don't, wouldn't necessarily say that's a reason to not try it again. Um, and it just it, the, the the inevitable thing when you um, when you play four four two is that the uh, with two like proper strikers, there is always a danger that there's going to be a big gap between. Midfield and and the forward line, which which there was, and then when uh, Anthony Knockart came on in the second half, that was that problem was kind of solved. Um, so I, 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 I don't know. It, it's not necessarily something that I that you kind of rule out or you suggest that he never tries again. But obviously, it um, very much didn't work in the, in the derby game. I wonder if if it was maybe another example of a Forest being reactive rather than proactive. But you've got to cut Hewton some slack, I suppose, in that in that he's he's learning about his players all the time. And, and as you point out in in your piece on the Luton game, you know, it's not as if he's learning about them on the training ground particularly, because as we know with this congested season, it's about recovery and then a bit of preparation for the next game rather than spending all your time working on, on pattern of play and getting to know who's good at what and who's not, etc. He hasn't got that luxury this season. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, maybe he, he will his sort of ideas and theories about the squad will um, coalesce a little bit more in the, the next international break in a, in a couple of weeks' time, I think, so he'll have theoretically a little bit more time on the on the training ground to have a look at players and figure out who can go where and who can play with who and so on um but yeah this was uh, this was again this was something he pointed out in the post-match um press duties last night with the um classic chris hewton nice guy caveats about well you know it's the same for everyone and you know we, we've all got to deal with this insane schedule um but it is something that he he kind of made clear and you know said without really saying that he's basically got to kind of try these things on the fly and, you know maybe he uh, it, maybe it kind of stood out a little bit more that he tried that this sort of thing in the derby game so it is going to just feels like it was a, a you know a, a it feels like it's you know it's a very big game to experiment in, but he hasn't really got a choice because you know he's just been thrown into this sort of fairly bad situation, and he's got a very big squad that he has to make sense of. So um, again, trying things I don't think is um, don't think is the worst thing in the world. 
And that, that kind of leads into my, my final question on, on the Derby game. Did it feel like a game against Derby? You know, you mentioned experimenting with the two up front. You, you wonder if he would have if he would have done that had it been 30,000, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs for 90 minutes kind of thing, or, or if he, he might have played it safe. It, it's obviously a big game, but it's just not the same, is it, when there's nobody in the ground? No, very much so. I mean, it doesn't... You kind of, um, in a sort of semi-past life I would uh, cover quite a lot of um, big teams and I would I would generally get sent to games with um, at, at big team stadiums against kind of moderate opposition and if you were you know Old Trafford I know it's just a very very cliched hack thing to say about the uh, Old Trafford these days but it's very quiet uh, for, for most of those games so in that respect watching a United game where there's, when there's no one in the stadium on TV um, it's not it's obviously different but it's not quite as different as as you might expect it to be these sort of games when in the empty stadium and this was very much the same when the uh, the derby at pro park last season it just doesn't feel any different to a normal game really there's that you're uh, you know as a fan you're slightly more nervous and it, it it means a little bit more but it just it just isn't the same there's, there was no sort of um, if you watch a, a Forest Derby game on TV and Forest score, you're well. I certainly am always instinctively very jealous of the fans that are in the stadium, of being kind of in the middle of that the you know that bundle when when a goal goes in. But this time, you know, Lyle Taylor scored and it was great. But there was no kind of sense that um, um it was a real shame I wasn't kind of there to witness this because. You know, as you said, it just isn't the same, and it didn't feel really feel like a derby. Yeah, all we can do is hope that there will be some good news on that at some point. Right, Forrest. Next assignment is against Middlesbrough, led these days by everyone's favourite kindly old uncle Neil Warnock. Uh, as you'd expect, Collins made Borough a tough nut to crack this season. They've only lost once in the league. That was back on opening night at Watford. Uh, Britta Sombolonga on target in their midweek win against Coventry when Borough scored twice in the last 10 minutes. Obviously, he's going to score on Saturday because of the irrefutable law of the X. How do you look back at his time at Forest now, Nick? It, it feels like it ended on a bit of a sour note, unfortunately. Yeah, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? It, it sort of... I don't know. It, it never really felt like he was a... Um, he was a, such a weird thing to say because he he scored some kind of big goals and he scored obviously scored a lot of goals, but he never felt, really felt like a Forest player for some reason. I don't I don't really know why. He was just a kind of guy who was there for a little while and did a very professional job and and then left. I mean, part of the problem I guess was that he that he had quite a lot of injuries, but um, yeah, it just it it it, it, it I felt uh, maybe it was partly because. Forest obviously sold him for quite a lot of money, but I didn't feel as upset about him losing as I perhaps should have been, um, you know, for for a player that had scored that many goals and was kind of technically very important to the team. Um, you know, maybe it was because he'd. Um, I think his last game was that that the the game where Forest survived on the on the final day. Um, in which he, he scored two goals, so I suppose there's a sense of kind of thanks, Britt, you've done your job. Now you know we'll we'll take the fifteen million pounds, please. Thank you very much. But yeah, I mean it, it's odd. Of um, all Forest players, I he's one I feel very little ill will, very little 
kind of yearning that he was still with us. Just you know, he was a guy that played for Forest, and now he doesn't. And it, it's uh, I don't know whether I'm it's, it, I've lost kind of lost an emotional connection to Forest players because they are so transient now, and they just kind of come and go. Um, but yeah, it's it's a slightly odd feeling about him, I think. Yeah, that's definitely the case, I think, in terms of the transient players. It doesn't mean you hang on to, to anybody who comes through from the academy a little bit more. Um, in terms of the lineup uh, for Saturday's game, obviously not going to have Ioana. He's going to be suspended. Uh, Graben and Arta not available against Luton. Looks like Arta might be fit to play at the weekend. If he did, would you have him in for, for Jack Colback? I know you felt that he struggled a bit at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult to work out what the problem is with Colback at the moment because he was, I mean, I think he was a real problem against Luton. Whether it's because he is just a bit rusty because, you know, he basically hasn't played before the last few weeks. He hasn't played competitive football for the better part of a year. So in that respect, it would be very understandable if he was, you know, rusty and not quite on the pace. But um, he just... He, he every pass was very kind of safe every pass was sideways or backwards um and he it was quite lucky to um to that he didn't put forest in some quite significant trouble at a, a couple of occasions he got you know quite easily dispossessed a couple of times when he was um sitting deep in front of the defense um and uh, I, I know it's it, 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 I think we mentioned last week that he he may kind of suffer from comparisons to um, to Ben Watson in that people think he's the kind of replacement and the you know the the um, the new version of Ben Watson when he isn't he's just like a different player but he did I was quite worried every time he got on the ball yesterday and you know it, certainly if Harry Arter is fit again not exactly the same kind of player certainly not the same player as Ben Watson but I would um I definitely see what a a, a midfield of um Arter and and Yates would look like in in comparison to um to Colback and Yates particularly against a, a Warnock side mm, yeah um so last season Lewis grabbed a point Late leveller in a in a two two. Forest actually got a decent record at the Riverside in recent years. Only lost one of the last four. Uh, give us a prediction. Uh, very few goals. I think probably a one one draw. Maybe um, <laughs> we can just say that for every game for the yeah, next yeah, couple uh, of months. Essentially, can't we? It's going to be one one. Yeah, basically, uh, particularly against um, this Middlesbrough side who don't really score many and they don't concede many either. They really give me, you know, beat Coventry two 0 this week. They really cut loose. I think it's the the own. I th- <laughs> I th- it's certainly the only game that they've won this season by more than one goal, and might be the only game they've won by more than one goal since uh, Warnock arrived. Um, so yeah, tight, not many goals, probably one one. All right, Saturday afternoon for that one. Of course, we'll react to it in next week's show. That's just about it for this week's difficult second show. I think we just about got through it, Nick. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it very much feels like we're going to get away with this. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll have Paul Taylor back with us soon. He continues to work on his fitness away from the rest of the squad. Um, before we go then, Nick, tell Athletic subscribers what they can read from you and others, Ari, the two-time European champions. Yeah, but there'll be a um, a piece on the Athletic about what what we talked about earlier on Forest's proclivity for score for um, sorry for conceding goals and um, you know obviously therefore making it much more difficult for themselves because as you know as Hewton recognised after the game 
when you can see the goal in the, in the first half seems an obvious point, but you're always chasing the game and you um, you give yourself a real problem. So uh, I've I wrote something from that um, about that on the uh, on the game. And uh, as you mentioned, there's a little introducer to um, our podcast which mentions our gleaming new appointment from Monaco. And uh, yeah, the, the, I know that um, Paul has got a, 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 an interview with Gary Brazil coming at some point. I'm not sure when that's going to be. Um, that's going to go out, but um, that will be up there at some point, I'm sure. And obviously, uh, Brazil will have some really interesting things to say because he is the kind of one of the few things, one of the few positive things that consistently positive things that we can say about Forrest at the moment. Yeah, that'll be uh, must-read stuff. Thanks for joining us today, listener. Remember, we're here each and every Thursday for free wherever you get your pods. And if you aren't yet a subscriber to The Athletic, head to www.theathletic.com slash forestpod to sign up now. Thanks again to David Prutton for joining us, to Nick as well, and producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. Remember to tell a friend, give us a five-star rating, all that good stuff, but mainly stay safe and join us again next week. Bye for now. (laughs) 